0: Welcome to the Today is a Good Day podcast, a podcast to bring you a new point of support as you navigate your NICU journey. Today is a Good Day is here to be a part of your conversations, whether your baby was born prematurely, has special needs, or if your family is grieving a loss. The voices you will hear on the Today is a Good Day podcast are personal stories from people who have been there. Please don't forget to hit subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening app. On today's episode, we'll talk about why our family founded Today is a Good Day and the lifelong friendship that sparked a fire to help others during their NICU journeys. In 2010, Rachel Marzario and I were on bed rest at the same time. We didn't know each other then, but we were both pregnant with our sweet little miracle girls. Our daughters were born just eight days apart, and little did we know how our lives would eventually intertwine developing a lifelong friendship. This friendship is the foundation for one of Today is a Good Day's most important pillars of fostering a personal connection among parents. And I want to give a little bit of background about why Paul and I founded Today is a Good Day. We welcomed our identical twin girls in November of 2010. They were due March 8th of 2011. 23-weekers, our daughter Claire was a pound two, and our daughter Mary was a pound four. I had only made it on bed rest for five days before our daughters joined us. Our daughter Mary was with us only two weeks before she earned her wings, and our daughter Claire continued to fight every day before coming home after 103 days in the NICU at Abington. That extended stay in the NICU really opened our eyes to a gap in care for families, trying to navigate the isolating, overwhelming, challenging world of the neonatal intensive care unit. And we always knew we wanted to give back. We wanted to find a way to do that. And we reflected back on our personal journey through the NICU, the friendships we made, the gaps in care that we experienced. And that brings us to this episode today where one of my dearest friends has joined us. Rachel, I'll always remember you telling me that you remember seeing them rush me down the hallway the day our girls were born. But welcome, and we want to hear a little bit about your journey. Well, thank you.
1: Um, Yeah, and I do remember that day vividly because the nurse had just come in and I watched them rush you by and I went, What happened? Is everything okay? Because there was so much commotion in the hallway. And the nurse said, Yeah, another mom headed to the NICU. And I had been there for three weeks already. Um, and they had said that you had just been there a few days. And I remember just that whole that whole you know circumstance and then not even two weeks later, meeting you in person in the NICU, a few days I think before Mary had passed. And when you talk about our relationship, that's when it started for me, was seeing you go through that. And I, I remember so clearly, you know, thinking, God, I hope that's not me tomorrow. And it was. It was me, you know, a week later. So I think, you know, journeys are different. Everyone's journeys are different. My journey was different than yours. But we, I think we ended up in the same place. We did. I was, I think I had six miscarriages total before I finally got pregnant, that stuck. I went to reproductive endocrinology where they found that I had a problem with my uterus that needed surgery. And then they said, good luck, come back when you're pregnant. And I did. And then it was, oh, maybe you're not pregnant. And then it was, oh, wait, you're pregnant with twins. Oh, wait, your progesterone's too low. Oh, wait. And every week it was come back next week and we'll tell you. And it was every week. And it was relentless and unending. And it was fear. You know, the first... I don't know, all of it, the whole pregnancy was fear, you know, and nobody should be pregnant like that. Mm -hmm. Nobody should be pregnant like that.
0: Well, and I think sharing your journey, because the journey to building a family is so different for everyone. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. When we think about getting pregnant, I remember when Paul and I thought, oh, well, we'll look at starting a family and thought you get pregnant, you have a baby and you start a family. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is how it happens for a lot of families. But that's also not how it happens for a lot of families. And so for families navigating that difficult journey that you and your husband, Joe, did mm-hmm. with the miscarriages, with the repeated doctor's appointments, I mean, what advice do you have for families who are going through something similar to that? Because that's an experience I didn't have.
1: <laughs> Don't give up. We almost did. In some ways, we did. Because after our NICU experience, we were We were done. Um, because it was so traumatic for us. I mean, there was so much grief and loss even before we lost Jenna. There was so much of that heartache already that it wasn't, it didn't feel worth it to just attempt to put yourself through it. But reflecting back now, don't give up. It's worth it. Um, Even having the NICU and everything that 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 brought, I have a a beautiful almost 10-year-old daughter who is amazing. We have a great family and it's, it's worth a fight and just keep, you know, keep trying and, you know, talk to people. Don't let other people get you down, but go for it. You know, it's worth it.
0: And when you look at your pregnancy journey and the day that uh, Jenna and Samantha arrived, what were some of the experiences that stood out to you the most about that whole, that whole experience?
1: Well, it wasn't like a normal pregnancy. And I'd seen lots of people who were pregnant. I I had lots of friends who were pregnant at the same time I was pregnant. It wasn't, you know, for me, it wasn't a positive experience, but I also knew a lot. Like I, my background, because I'm a nurse. And at the time I was working in, you know, at St. Chris, I was working in burn trauma, which was like a step-down unit. So we saw everything. And a lot of what we saw was former preemies. And I spent a lot of time in the NICU getting pulled there. So I knew what to expect. I didn't know how to prepare my husband for that. Because I hear stories from him even now that he's like, Yeah, I had no idea what was going on. And I think I was just internalizing everything I knew to keep myself going to like process what was happening. And I, it was almost like a surreal experience. You know, you're almost out of body. You know, you're standing there in the NICU where you've been a nurse and you've taken care of this patient, but now it's not a patient, it's your child. And it's so, it's such a wild experience to not, you know, to see the alarms go off and not go to do something because. Wait a minute, that's not my job. I'm now I'm now mom, and it's a flip. It's a huge it's a huge shift. That was really challenging for me going into the NICU as a mom as opposed to a nurse. How did you work through that?
0: I mean, how did you say, oh, I have to step out of that role as a nurse, and just be the mom here that's trying to take care of of my babies?
1: I thought about all the moms I've taken care of, and I thought about what they needed me to be and what I needed them to be and how that needed to happen for her, Uh, Mm -hmm. that I couldn't be her nurse, that my perspective was too close, that I needed to let them do their jobs. Even though I think it was super important to advocate for her, um, it was also really important to let them do what they needed to do to keep her safe, keep both of them safe for the time that they did.
0: And when the girls were born, how did you and Joe approach the NICU? You know, I think it can hit you in so many different ways. So many emotions come out. It is isolating. It's lonely. But how did you all work together to face the NICU?
1: Uh, Joe and I are a team. We've always been a team. Um, it's so important. It's so important to be a team with your, with your partner, your significant other, your spouse. It's so important. We, we talk about it all the time. You know, communicate. Communication is key. Talk to each other. If you're scared, say you're scared. It's not don't don't be ashamed to be afraid. You know, if you're a man cry, it's okay to cry. I've seen Joe cry. I see, I saw him cry after Jana passed and it was for me it made me it made it easier almost because I didn't feel alone. I didn't feel like I was alone in the emotion that I just lost my child because he lost his. And I think sometimes as women we forget that that while we are going through the pregnancy and the loss, so are they. They're there watching the people that they love go mm-hmm. through it. And it's not easy for them either. And you have to be together on that. And I think part of the reason why we've been so successful in everything we've done is because we've done it all together as a team. Completely agree with that. I mean,
0: Paul and I have would approach the NICU in the same way of trying to work together to communicate, to make sure that we were navigating all of it together. And When you look at our experiences of having twin girls having to say goodbye to one of our daughters, both Mm -hmm. of us experiencing that same journey, and having to stay strong for our other daughter whose future was still uncertain in both of our cases, right? How did you figure out how to walk that path of saying goodbye to Jenna, but
1: then turning right around and being strong for Samantha? It's funny because a lot of people say that to me. A lot of people ask me that question. How did you do it? And even when we were in it and we were in that whole world of, you know, the day she got sick and it all happened so fast. And, you know, people ask me, how did you do it? How are you getting through it? And, you know, people say to me, oh, I could have never have done it. And for me, it wasn't choice. It was today it's happening and tomorrow is not promised. And we have to get through today to get to tomorrow. But right now we have to deal with today. And I think that, I think it was a lot of, Keep going, keep moving, keep doing, keep breathing, keep keep everything together. You're gonna to be okay. We're gonna get through this. We just have to get through today. And every day got better. I mean, after Jenna passed, and you know, we always say that the Jenna went to Samantha afterwards because Samantha was our sicker twin. And we didn't think she was gonna make it. I mean, the first you know, two weeks of, of Samantha's life, it was every day I was gonna get up and get that call that you know, she's not going to make it or she's had this next problem or that next problem. Jenna was great. She was doing well. She was flying through everything and she was, you know, getting, you know, going from one setting down to the next setting, you know, in a good way. And then all of a sudden one day it was like a, like a switch and Jenna got sick, but it was, you know, we have to do it. There's no choice that this is our life now and we have to move forward. Um, there were days sure, that I didn't want to, um, get out of bed. You know, I would lay in bed and think to myself, I can't do this. I can't. I can't be this mom. How I mean, but I am a mom. I am a mom because even though my daughter passed away yesterday, I still have one who's alive and she needs me and, and, and be there mm-hmm. for her. And I
0: I think knowing our surviving miracles and how strong they are today, which we'll get to. I think we'll both start crying when we start talking about that. Of course. Right. But when we when we look at how far they've come. It does, and as you're talking, I'm going back to walking those hallways, right? Mm-hmm. And walking into the pods that we shared and yep. seeing each other mm-hmm. for the first time. And looking back, so we met a couple days before Mary passed away. Yep. And then I remember you seeing the day that Mary passed away.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Paul and I remember seeing you all with Jenna the day that that she passed away. Yep. And I think it was after that that we really started connecting with each other, yep. and when did we start going to dinner at least once a week?
1: I want to say it was a couple weeks after. I want to say it was definitely before Christmas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was after Jenna passed and it was before Christmas sometime in there we would we were just like, let's just go across the street and get some mm-hmm. eat and talk and just kind of go through all of our stuff and timber, man. <laughs>
0: yes, that was that was where we went every week, at least once a week, yep. during the nurse shift change in the evening. But looking back on those times, I'll tell you they were a saving grace for me personally. Yeah, I don't know what I would have done without those times. And I think in the NICU, we talk about it a lot with families now, how you have to take some time to step away. You have to take some time for yourself to mm-hmm. make sure that you're healing, that you're taking care of yourself, which is incredibly difficult. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you saw it with the parents that you worked with as a mm-hmm. nurse in that in that role. But those that friendship that we built, Back in November of 2010, yeah, saved us going through the NICU. And I think that's why those friendships that you create in the NICU and creating opportunities or stepping out of your comfort zone to introduce yourself to someone that you are passing at the hand washing station Mm -hmm. or passing in a pod or walking by in the hallway or on the elevator with who you know is going to the NICU, Mm -hmm. stepping out of your comfort zone to say hello to them you never know where that's going to lead. Because I oftentimes say it, my dear friend, our paths never would have crossed otherwise, most likely. No. Right? Mm -mm. And little did we know that we would have two daughters who will be friends forever Mm -hmm. and that our families will be friends forever because of a circumstance where we were in the NICU together and Mm -hmm. how important those relationships are. Now, you have to tell us how Samantha's doing today. And what she's up to.
1: I will. But first, I want to go back on what you were just talking about, because I think it's really important. It's so important because for us, it was the same. And Joe and I talk about that. We say, you know, I don't know how we could have gotten through the NICU without those dinners, because nobody understands that journey like the people who are going through it with you at the same time. So I always say, you know. You may not you look at somebody, you don't know what you have in common with them, Right now, in the NICU, when you're there with your baby, there's nothing you would have in common more with anybody else. They are living the same life you are the baby your babies may be having different problems, there may be different circumstances between them, but nothing is normal about anything either one of you are going through and what could be what could bring t- people together more than a so- something like that and it's so important if you see somebody you know, if you're in the NICU and you are there and you're you know grieving or feeling that loss and you see another mom sitting with her baby say hi say hello start a conversation because those people are going to get you through it i mean joe and i while i loved our friends and i love our friends who at the same time were pregnant and had term babies who who are even our parents and you know siblings none of them could understand and even you know the whole the whole thing coming in seeing it it doesn't you're you're not you're not there it's not your child it's not your baby going through it and I think the only people that can really ever understand that are NICU moms and dads. And I think it's so important to foster that friendship and relationships because without it, I couldn't imagine I couldn't imagine going through the NICU without you guys because I don't think we would have survived it. I don't think our marriage would have survived it. I don't think I would have survived it. And who knows where we would be without it.
0: I agree. I agree.
1: But switching to a happier note, um, in a word, she's amazing. Samantha's um, she's truly our miracle. I mean, in the beginning, it was tough. She came home. She was on oxygen. She was on medication. She was at the doctor's twice, three times a week. But now, I mean, she's she's going to be 10 in November and I don't know where the years went. And she's kind and compassionate and caring and in ways that other kids her age aren't. She's so understanding and she's you know, she gets things that other kids don't get. And she, you know, she wants to do things that other kids don't do. I mean, tell me another nine-year-old little girl who wants to kayak and fish all day with her dad and will, you know, put a worm on a hook by herself and take a fish off by herself. And
0: Good you know, for her. She... I'm not doing that. <laughs> not doing
1: that. <laughs> but she, you know, she loves art and she's very deep and she's very thoughtful. And, you know, she's, you know, she'll sit and she'll spend hours at the kitchen table with a project, one project. And she'll, it needs to be perfect. It needs to be done just the way that Samantha needs it to be done. And I love that about her fiercely. I think that she's, you know, just, she's an amazing soul. And I think that she has been made stronger by everything she's been through and everything that she's overcome has just built upon one, one on the other. And I mean, even recently back in March, she wound up with a uh, vitreous hemorrhage in her eye from the retinopathy in the NICU, which was I mean, it just knocked us through a loop. Um, We weren't expecting it. We thought everything was going great. I mean, she'd been to the eye doctor and all looked good. And then one day, mom, I can't see. And it was like, what do you mean? Like, that seems odd. And then we went down to Will's eye and here she's got blood in her, in her eye, inside of her eye, just pulling up. And, you know, she, it was, you know, it's not easy for kids. Even some adults can't handle drops in the eyes and back and forth to the eye doctor with exam after exam, but she did it. And she rocked at it. And she was amazing.
0: It's wonderful that you bringing up the ROP reminds me of the day our girls went into eye surgery together mm-hmm. one after the other. Eye of the, bo- tiger. They, <laughs> eye of the tiger. Eye of the tiger. They both, they both had their laser eye surgery to help with their retinopathy of prematurity. Mm-hmm. And I'm still waiting. Claire's I'm sure glasses are in her future. She hasn't gotten there quite yet, but I, yeah. I know they're coming at some point when we talk about our, our girls and how far they've come and where they are today, I do oftentimes think of how they do have a different outlook on life just because of the experiences that they've had, including losing their sisters, their Mm -hmm. twin sisters, right? And I think you and I have talked about this a lot over the years about how families navigate that loss and how they share that loss with the surviving child. And no way is the right way, right? Every family does this differently with Mm -hmm. what works for them. And I think your story is so important. We were just recently talking about boxes of notes and I have a tote box of notes that says Mary's Mary notes on the side of it. I keep telling myself over the years, I've tried to open the lid a few times, I take it off the shelf. And I think, oh, today's the day you're going to open it and look through these notes that people send. And all these memories. And I just haven't been able to do it quite yet. Mm -hmm. And I've said to myself, Claire's turning 10 this year. It's the 10th anniversary. I'm opening the box this year. But you did open the box. And I think it's important to share how you talked with Samantha about her sister, Jenna.
1: Yeah. I mean, I like, like you said, I think everybody's, it's very personal and how you want to handle it. And Joe and I talked about it probably from day one like when are we going to tell her are we going to tell her should we tell her what's the right thing to do and we didn't get to decide that she did she was always so good at playing by herself like eerily well like even like usually babies that grow up they play by themselves but then they they crave that um the need to play with someone else and she walked up to us one day and said mommy I was supposed to have a sister wasn't I and it just took my breath away And I think she was about five, right around five years old. So it was, you know, preschool age. She had gotten to see what siblings were like. And um, she just kind of knew somehow, I may say that twins know, um, somehow she knew that some part of her life was missing. And Joe and I did our very best. And I think we did a pretty good job of it to not really bring it up because we didn't want to, we didn't want to talk about it with her. I think out of a lot of out of fear, but also we didn't want to make her sad. And she was young. I mean, you know, when you're that little, what do you understand? How much can you possibly comprehend on that, you know, that topic? But she asked, and we had a discussion about it, and we just said, you know, maybe it's time. If she's asking, maybe she understands. So we we opened that box, and we had all of Jenna's pictures in there, pictures from the NICU, from the day she passed away, her blanket, um, cards. Uh, there was a teddy bear that my mom had gotten both of them on the day they were born. Um, you know, everything that pertain to Jenna, the, you know, the bub, the tiny little blood pressure cuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of it was in that box. And we went through it with her and we went to the cemetery and we explained to her that, you know, Jenna's heart and her soul is with you here in your heart and her body is here. And we explained that to her when we all die, that this is where we'll, you know, our bodies will go and our souls will go to heaven. And she understood it. And I it took a while. It was hard for her to process it, but I think it's made her stronger. There's some days where she thinks, well, she'll say to me, Mom, I really wish, like you can, you can see as she's getting older and she's becoming more self-aware. She kind of wishes she had a sibling because she's an only child. Um, because of all the loss we had, we didn't go forward and have more. So she, it will just be her. So we had to come to terms with that and make sure that she was prepared for that. So we openly talked about it, much to the chagrin of everybody in my family, because they were all very unhappy that we discussed it. That was really hard for me. It was very bracing. Samantha would go up to people and say, I have a twin sister and she's she's dead. And she's I mean, she's five, you know, so at the age she would just say it. She didn't understand that people would be taken back by it. But I think it was good for her. And I think it was important that she understood that she's not alone, Mm -hmm. that her sister may not be sitting next to her, Mm -hmm. but she is with her always.
0: Totally agree with that. And and we with Claire we talked with her about it from the beginning. I mean, we went to the cemetery and really has, it's always been kind of a part of Claire's life of angels in her room and her Mary box there with Mary's memories in her room on, mm-hmm. on a bookshelf, their shadow boxes. But I do think it's hard for them as they grow older. And I'm interested in hearing your feedback on this as well. Death is something people don't talk about that much. And especially for kids or siblings who passed. And I oftentimes think about it with Claire going into fourth grade. She shares with her classmates at different times Mm -hmm. that I have a sister, a twin sister who passed away. And for our family, we also had the experience of after our girls were born, we welcomed a full term baby girl. And then we had a son who was diagnosed with trisomy 18 at just 14 weeks. And I carried him until 34 weeks knowing that he would pass away. So Claire's had that added uh, of her brother who passed and she shares that with people, but not all kids have to experience that. And how has Samantha navigated through that
1: of sharing with others? We talk about it enough that she understands that other people aren't going to understand our path and they're not going to understand our story, especially kids, because kids aren't exposed to it. Children don't have a sibling or loved one who passed. And most parents don't talk about death with their kids because they think they're too young or they won't understand or it's too hard for them and they don't want to make them sad. I can understand that I lived that for a long time. It's easier for us, I think, as a family. And that's a personal decision. I mm-hmm. think everybody. It's so important to say that. Everybody has their own path and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And having to be understanding of that is is equally as important for all of us. Mm -hmm.
0: But I think this also brings it back to how important the friendships are from the NICU. Because when you look at what Samantha has experienced, what your family has experienced, Mm -hmm. when you look at what our family has experienced and the fact that our daughters have each other as dear friends being Mm -hmm. at every birthday, every year, celebrating together and always having each other. It goes back to that importance of the NICU relationships that you can make during that very challenging time. Yeah. So when you look back on that, on your NICU experience, what's a big piece of advice that you would have for families? And you can have several pieces of advice from all (laughs) of your experience as a nurse and as a parent, Rach, but what would you tell families
1: looking back now? Take it one day at a time. Uh, I know you have your bracelet. Yes. Um, I have a bracelet, which I don't even know that you know about it. And I don't think we've ever really even talked about it. But I think it's always been there in my head. Take a breath. Breathe. One day at a time. We're going to get through this. Just just breathe. And Mm -hmm. you're going to get through it. And you will, because inevitably you have to. I mean, I guess there is that other option of just giving in. But your baby needs you to be strong right now. It's so important to... Remember that and just to breathe because I think we forget to breathe and we forget to take a minute to process everything that's happening because in a year from now, you don't know where you're going to be. So today is a good day.
0: Today is a good day.
1: You know, and remembering that, how important that is. I think also, like I said before, foster relationships with the parents who are in the NICU with you. You know, you have more in common with them than you could possibly imagine. From a nurse, talk to your doctors talk to the staff, talk to the the nurses, the um you know the people who are around you because they're gonna know. stay away from the internet. the internet's terrible. social medias can be terrible. Don't involve yourself with people who are gonna mom shame you because that's awful. Um, you need right now in the NICU, you need people who are going to support you and are gonna hold you up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think anybody can do that any better than somebody who's going through it mm-hmm. at the same time as you are. You mentioned
0: mom shaming. What did that look like for you? What did you experience?
1: I mean, I think it was, you know, expectation, like other people's, you know, what their opinions are of what you should go through, what you shouldn't go through, and then making you feel bad about your your choices. And that can come from literally any place. It can come from social media, It can come from family, because they don't understand, they lack the, you know, the insight into what you're going through. And I think that It's a problem we have in society today is mom shaming. I mean, I think that we all need to be building each other up and not tearing each other down. How did you work through that? How did you get
0: past those opinions and advice that others gave who hadn't really experienced the NICU? Because I think it's something that people face on a daily basis who are navigating the NICU and trying to figure it out.
1: I think for me, I've never been one to really listen to what other people have to say. Usually if I'm expressing something, it's because I need to vent it, not because I'm looking for an opinion or advice from someone. I'm not going to listen to you. I know what I did was right, and I feel comfortable in my decision, and I'm not going to let your opinions change that for me, Mm -hmm. especially from somebody who has never experienced it, um, because that was a lot of it, was, you you know, moms who had not traveled the NICU or understood what I was going through, who would say one thing or another to me about, you know, well, maybe if this or maybe if that, I don't think that's, you know, I've never found that kind of, I, I would distance myself from people like that. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like I have over the years, you can almost see um, people who've fallen away. You could tell they weren't a positive influence in what was going on in that time.
0: And I think you do see that in life where traumatic experiences can bring friendships in and out of mm-hmm. your life. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That friendships change. Some people don't know how to react to loss or what you're going through on that level. In Mm -hmm. addition to an extended stay in the NICU and what that looks like to be on quarantine, which you're familiar with, with the NICU experience of being home and not able to go out and be with others. And I also think trying to talk with families, one of the biggest things that I remember was trying to make the right decision. And mm-hmm. how you make the right decision. Mm-hmm. And Paul and I would always go back to we are making the best decision we can mm-hmm. based upon all of the information that we have. Yeah. And that was our standard answer for any decision that we made. Yep. Because of all of the journaling that we did, all the questions we asked, and really trying to go down the best path that we could based upon that information that we were given.
1: Yeah, I think also it's important. I mean, while we say mom shaming is bad, I think it's also important to be not be so sensitive when people are being insensitive because they don't realize they're doing it. And I think that's a big part of it. Like we can't be so afraid of dialogue with people that they're going to, you know, upset us.
0: Yeah. What what was a moment that hit you for when you knew Samantha was going to go home. You know, I feel like we have these pivotal moments during the Nick You stay where both of our surviving daughters were so sick. They mm-hmm. were our weaker twins out yeah. of the two. And I remember just not getting too hopeful that Claire was going to come home. And I feel like you felt the same way with Samantha. But what was that moment when you said, oh, she's coming home?
1: I think the minute I walked her through the front door of my house. Yeah. Because it was, if you remember she's going to go home this day, but wait, no, Well, we're thinking she's going to go home maybe next week, but no, wait, now we can't get her off the oxygen, but no, wait. And everything was so, it's so important one day at a time. That's so important because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And you don't really know if tomorrow is going to happen because you just never know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think when we walked her through the, even in the, even in the NICU, when I saw her in the um, car seat, and she passed the car test and we're all going home. I looked at Joe and I thought, this can't be happening. And mm-hmm. then we got her home and, you know, with the accoutrement of the equipment that we had and everything had been delivered. I think maybe then when all the equipment came, that might have been like that starting to feel like it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I don't really think it was until she got home mm-hmm. um, and was home and like being held by people that weren't NICU nurses. By like My mom was holding her. Finally, my dad got to hold her and feed her that's when it started to feel like, really, I can feel like I can breathe a Mm -hmm. little bit.
0: All of this really brings us back to our friendship. You helped me in so many different circumstances where I was jotting things down and Mm -hmm. didn't quite understand them. And with your nursing background, I'd be able to just pick up the phone and say, hey, Rach, help me understand what this means and help walk me through this. I remember the deep conversations we had at dinner talking about what we were experiencing and how we understood because we were walking the same path and we could help each other while our friends and family were not walking that path. Yeah, And it was incredibly helpful. So I have to close out today when we talk all about the importance of friendship with our programs that we offer through Today is a Good Day. One of my most favorite programs we do is our listening session program where we meet with families who are currently navigating the NICU. And a key part of those programs is to help foster that connection Mm -hmm. among parents, to help them meet one another and say, oh, I saw you at the listening session. Great to see you again as we're washing hands, heading into the NICU or passing in the hallway. But you have to tell me, friend, so what is one of the highlights or one of the most important things you remember from our friendship
1: in the NICU? And then I'm going to share mine. I don't know that I could say that there's one because I think that I remember I, I have such a memory that I remember things so vividly from that time that I couldn't say that there was one. I mean, going to Timber out to dinner was such a big part of that because, you know, when you're stressed and then you go and have a glass of wine or you have a cocktail and have some good food and a place to sit and just decompress. I, I think it's so important. I think for me, that really got, you know, for me, it was one of those big things. And the fact that we were able to do that every, almost every week, I think sh- the shock of meeting people like you and Paul, who, like I said before, you may not think you'd have anything in common with them, but then you go to a restaurant and you sit down and you start talking and you find out that you're really not all that different than than my husband, because you both have the same personality and same sense of humor and you guys can get together and have these giant laughs about you know even though things are so scary we can still have laughs and breathe through it Mm -hmm. and and make it about um more than just the fear Mm -hmm. and and because it's okay to laugh in grief and it's okay to be you know to laugh when you're afraid because sometimes i mean being a nurse I think sometimes nurses have twisted senses of humor, but and I I think I've said that to you before, because sometimes if you don't laugh, you'll cry. And I've been down that road, and sometimes you have to laugh to just get through it. Mm
0: -hmm. So that,
1: for me, is, I think, probably the biggest. Yeah.
0: We'll never forget those. I still remember sitting in our pod and us having those boppies, which were the (laughs) first things that we bought. And that's something to think about, right? Yeah. When you have a baby in the NICU, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you... Oftentimes can't buy things for them, or you can't, you don't feel as though you are, you have items for a newborn baby as you would typically have. Yeah. If your pregnancy did not go down the path of the NICU or being babies being born so prematurely, Mm -hmm. and I remember the first thing we ever bought was a boppy, Mm -hmm. and I was so excited to use it, and you had one as well, and we would sit in our chairs in the NICU and hold the girls, those
1: hideous pink recliners, and we would
0: we would sit there and hold the girls. And that is such a highlight for me. Mm-hmm. I just remember that. And I do think I remember us being a little too loud sometimes in the NICU, uh, the four of yeah, us. Yeah, I would say so. I'm yes. pretty sure we
1: got shushed quite often. But I
0: but I think that brings it back to finding some joy yeah. in some of the most difficult moments yeah. and being able to make new friendships, mm-hmm. smile, yeah. laugh, and find joy with yeah. others who are going through the same experience. Yeah. So my, my dear friend... Lifelong friend, thank you for joining us today. So happy to have you here. And thanks for sharing your personal story. Of course. And how much our friendship meant during our time almost 10 years ago.
1: I know. Can't believe it.